So today we're going to talk about expectation. And I'd like to start off by, by saying that there's several levels and kinds of expectations. There's world type, just like in dreams, there's world type expectations, and then there's spiritual expectations. So I, I came up with one thought here, and I'll, I'll read some other stories. Uh, it's often said in spiritual training that one should leave one's expectations behind. And there's several reasons why expectations interfere with being fully present. If you have an expectation, for example, of how a person will act or react or respond to you or a situation, it's difficult to actually be objective to see things as they really are because there's a, a cloud of color that's changing your perception. For example, if I was going to go to a job interview and people have told me that this interviewer is prejudiced, my ability to be myself or spontaneous is obscured by my expectations because now I have a way of looking through just one lens, whether it's true or false. And so my desire to interact authentically is impossible to achieve. Even if I tell myself I am being reasonable or balanced, there's no way that I'm going to be completely aware and objective in that situation because I'm under an influence and that influence is imagined. Yeah, does that make sense? Do you have a comment on that? We, we have, today we have uh, Alamine and Rukaya with us. Anything you want to respond to that? Yes. Um, yeah, my reflection on expectation, there was very much similar thoughts on that about specifically about the objectivity of expectation and how, for instance, in the past when I have had expectations, um, it has been quite difficult to be objective because I have been locked in my own belief patterns, uh, conditioning, um, yeah, and um, and and even sometimes I've thought about even those cultural um, cultural links which have caused me to have certain expectations. And so when I when I heard you talk just then, Shake, it made me think about yeah earlier on the week when I sort of Googled, <laughs> went to Wikipedia, took a leaf out of your book, and and that sort of came up with you know a belief of what might happen in the future, and. So what I resonated with just then was the sense of being objective, but it, the, the paradox is like 
you need to be objective, but at the same time in the world that we live in, it's hard not to have expectations um, professionally or personally, but the, the practice I'm assuming is to catch yourself and to try and be as objective as much as possible rather not getting caught up in the in assuming what will happen or what may happen. Yes, uh, because that also puts you in a sense of shirk because that's mm. God's job. Yeah. <laughs> a lot, yeah. That, Allah's taking care of that. What are you doing trying yeah. to do that? So, yeah, good. Rakaya? Yeah, it was interesting because, yeah, the the brain and the nafs have this tendency to go, oh, yeah, I know exactly what's right, so everything will run by my expectations and reality. And then I go, mm, no. <laughs> yeah, when I was looking at expectations, I was thinking about when you've got an expectation, it's the brain and the nafs saying, this is going to happen, concrete. There's no grey area. There's not even black and white. There's only one colour. Thinking about it with your perspective, you've always got to have an inshallah, God willing, happening there. Because whether it's something that's routine, such as work or family matters or whatever, let alone stuff that's not quite known area, you've always got to have the intention that something will happen and anticipate it, but Allah knows best. Allah's in charge of any changes or whether something goes ahead or not. Okay, so making room for Allah in there is a is good advice. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, now, Alamin, you mentioned something about conditioning. What did you mean about that? Uh, I think the best way for me to describe it is actually to use an example <laughs> of a life uh, example and it actually happened last night funnily enough so there is a a habit which is a is a good thing but can also be a a, a nafs thing or an ego thing where i have an expectation if i've meant to if i'm meant to be somewhere on time I shall be there on time because I think that's there's a commitment there and also um, there's good adab, et cetera, et cetera. But I fail to acknowledge that, yeah, sometimes Allah, God has other purpose or other reasons for me not being there on time. So the example was last night where I had a birthday function to go to and um it had on the invite to be there at 6 30 so i was getting myself ready to get there and i was obviously waiting on family members to leave and the family members were late and um cut, cut a long story short i got there half an hour later than when i was supposed to be now while that was happening i could observe I was getting angry and frustrated. And on top of that, um, looking at it from a probably a neurological level, there was all a lot of brain chemicals where, for example, you know, it was like the cortisol was setting off and I was starting to get anxious because I was not going to be there on time. 
and I was really annoyed on the way to the to the function. So while I was being annoyed and while I was being anxious that I was not going to get there on time, I started observing myself, and I'm thinking to myself at the same time, you know, what is the what is the big deal if I'm 20 minutes late? And I started looking at, you know, what you talk talk about perspective um, in a hundred years from now. Will what will it mean me being 20 minutes late? And maybe I'm going to be 20 or 30 minutes late because Allah is looking after me that maybe there may be an accident if I would have left on time or some other reason. So looking at it from that perspective, but also observing my reaction, and it comes from, yeah, my own sort of um, cultural, familial conditioning where there's been like a, an imprint that, yeah, if you're meant to be somewhere, then that's, you know, you're meant to be there at that time. And, um, and when that hasn't happened in the past, especially when I was younger, there was a lot of, um, well, you know, I had to be answerable and, uh, yeah, and I'd get into trouble and et cetera, et cetera. So that's what I, that's what I meant, Shay. Very good. So you were observing your, your reactions and your anger and these emotions and able to process it. Mm, that's yeah. good. Very good. That's a, uh, the other thing that you can do, of course, is uh, zikr, yasabur. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. I mean, uh, Sheikh Tanner used to say that uh, patience is kind of the last thing to learn and probably the longest and hardest. <laughs> because, you know, when we, you compare, you know, when we compare ourselves with Allah in regards to patience, you know, Allah is very patient with us and we do all this stupid stuff and Allah goes, yep, now, can you turn back to me? Can you remember me? Mm. I know you forgot there. Let's try it again. Take 29. <laughs> yeah. Patience. But it's, and it's, sorry, it's a real, um, it just made me reflect on it when I was thinking about it too last night about surrender and how, yeah, there is the patience and the awareness of, you know, um, of being patient and, and or doing zikr and so forth. But at the same time, the body's just like going into this meltdown of, um, yeah, of all these different feelings and, and emotions. And, yeah, there's a real, like, battle going on. That's right. Mm. There's another way of looking at this. And uh, first I want to read a story about, it's called Just Wait. Well, I, that's what I call it. A famous Sufi sheikh was asked to give a talk at 9 a.m. in an international city. His books were known and read everywhere, and everyone was eager to listen and follow and learn from him. At the time of the lecture, the organizer came on stage to announce uh, their sheikh has just woken up. It will take some time for him to get here. Please wait. Well, the time passed, and people got tired of waiting, and a few started to leave. The organizer came back around 12 o'clock. 
Shake got involved in helping someone. When he's done, he'll come here directly. Please be patient. Now, most people that had remained felt disappointed and left. A few people stayed. Around six o'clock, the Shake drunkenly came on stage and stumbled around. People were looking at this, and all but four people stormed out. At this, the Shake ceased to act drunkenly and said, thank you all for coming and waiting for me. This is the first lesson I wanted to teach. Whoever wishes to go down a long path must first overcome early disappointments. And, and that reminded me of a long time ago, I went to see uh, what was it? Swami Satchidananda a uh, guru from India who said this one thing, and I've always remembered it since. If there is appointments, there will always be disappointments. <laughs> so the idea that we're at the, we're at the mercy of a law, we pretend that we have this free will and everything, but really... Anything can happen at any time, and our job is to stay aware and, and understand that everything happens in the present. If we cloud the future with an expectation, we will not be able to get to the future because we've obscured it. Now, I have a, another story here. I'd like to talk about Bayezid who lived, I think, in the 14th century around a country, uh, a city named Bastam. And he said, I saw God in a dream and asked him, what is the path towards you? And he replied, abandon yourself and you are there. So uh, it goes on to explain, do not see yourself means pursuing Allah without any hidden agenda, without, without making any deals, and in particular, without any thought of yourself. Now, this is tricky, and this is kind of what Zen also teaches, is that if, it's, if there's anything about you involved in this, then it's you and not Allah. At the same time, Allah is telling Bayezid that the path towards him is very practical. It's not and should not be muddied by Bayezid's imagination and elliptical thinking, meaning don't get involved in too many rituals and useless prayers. Because if it's you doing it, then you're in the way. In order to avoid seeing himself, Bayezid has to do something. No amount of thinking and imagining will help him negate his nefs, or ego. This is the very practical side of Bayezidian Sufism, doing as opposed to thinking and imagining. And we've talked about this before, about intention and action. It's funny how everything kind of comes back to the same place. When you, when you do something for the sake of a law, it's a pure act. Nothing, there's no expectation of, of receiving a reward. 
unless you do it yourself, in which case you've muddied it with your will or with your nests. So, so you give something to somebody. If you have an expectation that something is to, going to come back because you did good, then it's, no, it's not worth it. It, it's it's the transaction is done. You have you, nothing's happened. You've paid for something and you got the benefit or value of it. To do something without expectation is very difficult. <laughs> it takes practice. True selfless service begins when one does not feel proud of one's act of charity. And it's complete when one is not conscious of oneself as the agent of that charitable act. True selfless service, as it were realized by Bayezid, is a major way to get rid of the ego. Uh, there's a story about Bayezid at uh, Mecca, and everybody's around this water well, and there's just not enough water. Everybody's fighting to get at the water. Uh, and Bayezid sees a dog who's trying to get in and get a little little bit because it's so thirsty and nobody's noticing the dog and nobody's doing anything. So Bayezid says, um, I will perform 10 pilgrimage if somebody can give me some water. And nobody responds to him because they're all fighting for the water. 20 pilgrimages. Finally, he gets up to 70 pilgrimages. And somebody says, yeah, okay, fine. You, I, I, I accept that. Here's some water for you. So Bayezid takes the water, and he's so happy with having gotten this transaction that he goes down to the dog to give him the water, but the dog kind of looks away and pops off and doesn't respond to him. And, and Bayezid says, and then Allah spoke to me and said, see, you did something without, you, 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 you got in the way of it. You were proud of yourself for doing that. You made all that work, and now you have to do 70 pilgrimages. So there you go. Uh, so this comes on after that. Upon hearing that Bayezid was returning from his pilgrimages to Mecca, the people of Bastam, which is where he's from, went to the city's gate to welcome him with honors and reverence. For a little while, Bayezid went along with what the crowd expected of him. But he soon realized he had to put a stop to it. It was the month of Ramadan, and everyone was fasting. So, of course, they expected Bayezid to be fasting as well. Instead, he took a piece of bread from his bag and began eating it. And no sooner did he do this than all the people around him left him in disgust. The idea that there is a selfless way to move through life, and that's part of the, the Sufi practice, and why expectation is upon all of us to work out how to do things without expecting a reward. Now, the thing about the Quran and almost all spiritual training is it talks about things in terms of carrot and stick, rewards and punishment. This transcends that. 
This is the Sufi training where it says, you, if you want to be close to Allah, leave the transactions behind. Does that make sense? The real question. Yes. How, yeah. do you, how do you understand that? What comes up, what comes through for me is if you want to get close to Allah, then you have to forget about the you that's doing the transaction, that Allah is being aware that Allah is coming through you and it's not you and you're doing it for Allah's sake. Mm-hmm. Rukaya, is this making sense it to you? It reminds me of a... Yeah, definitely, Shay. Um, it was reminding me of a um, Hafez quote that I saw when I was looking up things for this. It says, even after all this time, the sun never, never says to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights up the whole sky. <laughs> oh, it's it's a selfless act. That's very Yeah, cool. it's beautiful. Yeah, it was really lovely to kind of think about it. Like, Allah is always giving and never asks anything or demands anything in return from us. And we need to do the same and use that sort of um, idea in, in our own life. When you were, when you were saying about the um, doing all the pilgrimages, I was just like, yeah, if you say, oh, I'll do this if you do something else for me, it's like, well, then we have a contract here and you have to do as much as possible. And it's like, well, in reality, why can't we just do it for love? That's a good question. Because <laughs> it's hard. There's always a lot of nasty involved in, in doing it for love, yeah. In the default version. But it, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a beautiful poem, Rakaya. And just as you're uh, saying that, I was thinking that uh, I think what the, the nice thing about when praying to Allah and saying, because we all, in this world, we all have certain expectations. It's hard not to have expectations. But if we do it with the awareness and knowledge of if this is what's best for uh, us or if Allah deems it so, and surrendering to that, then there can be a sense of sort of peace with that. Do you think, Shake? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Do you want to hear another story? I like yeah. this one here. It's about uh, a person, a Sufi named Hatim Al-Tay. He was known for being extremely giving and was so great. His reputation was so great that whenever a person found themselves in dire straits, he would they would refer him or her to Hatim Al-Tay as the proverbial solver of all problems. There was once a, a person who lived rather at a great distance from a team's dwelling place who really needed money. And for days he fretted and worried about this while everything got worse and worse until one day his wife said, why don't we pull ourselves out of this before it gets any worse and you go talk to Hatimate and ask him to help you for once? 
Well, the poor man saddled his beast and placing his entire hope on Hatimate set out to find him. But when he came to the area where Hatimate had wielded his influence, he found that another person had taken over from him. Hatim himself had changed his robes and gone off to unknown parts. The needy man's last hopes were dashed and he fell into despair. He had no choice but to turn back without accomplishing anything and he did in a state of utter dejection. So on his way back, he had to stop somewhere for the night and he encountered a vagrant of strange and wild appearance and they became acquainted and the nomad's attentive gaze observed the man's oppressed state of mind and asked him about it. The needy man then began relating to him his troubles. He explained that he had set his last hopes on Hatimate and said, I didn't find him, but in his place there was a, a brutal tyrant, a bully who usurped his lands, and I'm now returning from there, and I, I, I have no recourse. I, have, I don't know what to do. Thereupon the dervish, who was in reality Hatimate, said, Oh, don't worry, for Allah will help you. He then explained that he was Hatimate and said, You will now take me to the tyrant, and he will remunerate you with much more than you ever expected. Hatim convinced the man to do it, although for some time the man objected to the plan, and so they both traveled back, and Hatim was handed over to the usurper, and the man received in exchange the promised award that was much greater than he had ever imagined. Now, the tyrant asked the man some questions. He said, there's something I wish to learn from you. You didn't strike me as the man who has the ability to track down and capture the likes of Atemite. I sent out many able and skilled trackers to get a hold of them, and they all returned empty. How did you do it? How were you able to catch such a person? Now the man spoke up and said, Ah, the story was quite a different one, for in reality I didn't understand or know that it was him. I wanted to ask for help from Hatimate, but he wasn't here. My hopes were shattered. I then encountered the stranger on my way home, told him of my woes, and when he'd heard my troubles, he sacrificed his own life in order to solve my problems, and this is the way we came to you. Now, these words had such an effect upon the tyrant who had usurped Hatim's possessions that all the cruelty and hardness departed from his heart. He repented of his behavior and immediately reinstated Hatimate in his original place. Now, there's more to this story than just the story. This is also talking about how the, the conditions we have to go through to bring ourselves to be close to Allah. We have to experience ourselves despair and brokenheartedness. In other words, our relationship with, with the world has to be severed before we can move into that place where we want to do things just for Allah's sake. Any connection, and this is 
this is kind of like really advanced spirituality in the sense of moving through into higher maqams that you have to not care about what the people or the world thinks about you. As a matter of fact, there's one story where this person comes to, I think it was Bayezid, who says, I've been an ascetic and I've, I've been fasting and I've been doing everything, doing all the prayers and everything, uh, and I still am not anywhere closer to Allah. And Bayezid says, yeah, because you're still full of yourself. So change your clothes, wear rags, ask for money, and uh, uh, let people blame you for things and, and be, a, be a fool in their eyes. This is how to break your ego. So the guy did, and, and it worked. But this is kind of this story, this shape of story is in every religion and every spiritual path that there's a point that you and the world have to divorce and become, go your separate ways so that you can go in towards Allah and the world can go and do whatever it does. That takes a lot of things breaking. But expectation is one of those things that needs to uh, fall. What do you think about that? To get to, get to that place, it's uh, a process, though, isn't it, Shaikh? It's not uh, a place where you wake up in one morning and say, yep, you know. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, Sometimes it helps by asking, who is doing this? And when you, when you can say, this is a law pouring water. This is a law walking down the street. This is a law shopping for broccoli. Uh -huh. mm. and, and, you know, what we, we start with uh, trying to not use the uh, personal pronoun about our, ourselves and to, and to think more of this one. The, the I tends to limit connection and creates expectation waves itself. An expectation wave, in this case, I'm thinking of it like, like an energy field where this is me going into the world and I need to get to this place at this time where people will say hello to me and recognize me for me. And I'm going to do this work because I need a paycheck and I need to pay my bills. I, 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 my, 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 all that stuff. It doesn't mean that you don't do it, but to see it in a different color, if you will, a different frame, that you are, the expectation isn't about 
And this is part of the programming conditioning that you're talking about, that we, we, we're, we're brought up that way. And that's, you know, the idea of the matrix, that this, is, this isn't real. What's real is Allah. And what's real is <clears throat> what's going on behind the scenes, which is Allah's manifestations. And what, if you're not aware of that, then you see things that that really is, you know, a chair. That really is a building. But from Allah's point of view, which is infinite, no, it's just a piece of dust that materialized and is going back out of, you know, it's going to degenerate and 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 rot and corrupt and become something completely different. You know, it's going to turn into dirt and then it's going to become a tree and then it's going to be that's going to die or it's going to become wood. Everything's in this state of transition as part of the world. So imagining that things that your investment in things and your expectation in things and people and money and exchange and all that kind of stuff will benefit you is kind of like that's just that's just a, a matter matter <laughs> sorry I, I don't know how to talk about this in terms of otherwise but it's the that's about matter matter Whenever it's about things, it's just, you know, atoms and molecules changing their shape. You know, we, we tend to look things from our, our very limited time sense. But in actuality, if we step back and, and watch things evolve and devolve... You know, like going into a forest and watching fungi do their reclaiming bit. It's all part of a process of matter. Spirit is different. The way I look at it is that the things that we see in matter, whatever that we're looking at, has its counterpart in spiritual life whether it's money or energy or tools of some kind. Yeah. So the, 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 first, the first to be shield or, or gate to get through is this idea of expectation. That if I, if I follow these rules, I will get this. doesn't work in spiritual world. What has to happen is... There has to the less you there is, the closer you are to Allah, and the more that you are are rewarded in the moment by feeling your heart and being present. Being present is the reward, if that makes sense. If you're present and doing things for the sake of your heart and keeping your heart alive that way, then it's self-fulfilling. Because it's all, it gives you purpose and connection. But as soon as you enter in transaction mode, you lose that connection. Does that make sense? It's interesting going back to that matrix before you um, in there. Allah is all of ones and zeros. 
<laughs> ah, okay. And we are just the skin suit that embodies that. <laughs> or and quantum. I um, just found a really quote. Whenever we manage to love without expectations, calculations, and negotiations, we are indeed in heaven. There you go. And there's so much peace in, yeah, there's so much peace in that, in realizing that if I am doing something, it's for a love's sake. And that's one of the big things I've learned through the Sufi path is it's a hard one to get to, definitely, but remembering that what I'm doing, I am the hands for Allah and I'm not doing it because I, my nap, need something in return. I'm doing it because I've been asked to do it by Allah. Yes, and it's and practice. And there's a lot of surrender in that. Yeah. There's... But it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You have to practice doing that. It doesn't just come because you've read it in a book. It, re it requires you to try it out yeah. in the real world and and see if I give this person 50 cents, can I do it without investment? And it's really hard to do something without expectation. And as... As Alamin was saying, you know, that's part of our conditioning and, and part of how this, this culture works. It works, you know, as a capitalist consumer society, there's not a lot of spirituality behind things. There, there's no, no purpose or meaning except in uh, greed, acquisition, and transactions. So understanding that that's the given, that's our framework, and to be able to see it for what it is and not accept it, as Neo found out in entering the matrix, that it isn't real. You just have to be aware of it and be responsible. And that's that's... And then we, we come to that balance of uh, the inner and outer world and the spiritual and material worlds, that they have to be in balance. But to understand that in the spiritual world, what you're working towards is, in the, you know, speaking of surrender, that you want to be close to Allah, and that means getting out of the way. It's not about you. Just uh, finish this up with a uh, story about uh, Jesus, who was in having a party. It was a, a great on going on with lots of music and dancing, but it was happening in these walls that seemed to surround this one area that nobody that there was no door or entrance to. And this one dervish wanted to come in and could not find any way to get in until he found, after a number of times going around and around the barrier, a small little hole kind of dug under 
the wall. And he tried to get in, but it was too tight. So he, he figured out, okay, well, I'll just take off all my clothes. I'll just, you know, nothing between me and, and getting in. So he did, and he got into the under, under and into the party where it was ongoing. The idea is you have to leave everything behind if you want to join with the law. No expectations about that. It's, yeah, it's, it's the hard part of letting go of the you. Yes, and so the that importance. you can be with Allah. Yeah. <laughs> it mm. reminds me of another story. <laughs> Nazardin had gone to uh, another big banquet and uh, people were having a great time and he sat at one end uh, and he was, you know, he had a t-shirt and jeans that were torn and wearing thongs and people weren't paying him attention and he was kept asking for pass the food down. So he said, oh, okay, that's the way it is. So he went out and bought a very fancy coat and came back to the party and the table, got the food because he's now wearing a coat and people saw him and thought, well, this must be a very important person. He expects to be taken care of. So they put all the food in front of him and he got up, put the coat in the chair and put the food uh, in front of the coat and left and going, what are you doing? He said, well, you people seem to think coats and clothes are more important than people. So here you go. Expectations. We need a song. Ezbilahim and Ashitana Rajim, Bismillah Rahman Rahim, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, Rahman Rahim, Maliki Yomadin, Yakana Bulwa, Yakana Stayin, Idina Sarata Mustakim, Sarata Lazina Namta Lehim, Gairul Maktubi Lehim, Walla Dali Amin. Thanks, Shaykh. Thanks, Shaykh. Salam alaikum. Thank you for this. Welcome, as alaikum Marids, seekers, curious, and interested listeners. We appreciate you and are happy to share our Sufi message. Your donation will help support our Sufi Center in Sydney where we do zikr, sobat, spiritual counseling, and healing services. We believe the message should be free, but it costs equipment, rental, services, software, and hardware to get this to you. So thank you for choosing our podcast among all the millions available. If you go to our website, ansarisufiorder.org, you will be able to donate through PayPal whatever you think this information is worth to you. Blessings and love, the Australian Ansari Sufi Order.